Well, as we're knocking on the door of another weekend, it is time for another edition of the Speaking For Him podcast. I'm Adam McNutt, alongside the host of the program, Mr. Andrew Gomison. Hello, Adam. It's great to be with you today. And uh, today's uh, episode is is uh, one of our uh, Sanctity of Human Life episodes for the month of January 2016, and we're coming up on the 44th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, a decision that legalized abortion in all 50 states. And the pro-life issue, if you've been listening for any length of time, you know that it's something that's very important to me. So when, when we come up to this anniversary, it's a sober time, and it's a time that although we in some ways would like to skip over it and not think about it, something that we need to think about and think about the ramifications so that we make sure that we do our best in the fight against it and to realize that it's a serious issue because I know that even though though I'm a pro-lifer and I have in my whole life because I was raised in a pro-life household that, that believed all life was sacred, it can be easy to get complacent. And so um, when we have this issue or the opportunity to discuss this issue, I hope that this will give you an uh, some ideas on how to engage the public in a way that's respectful but very intelligent and kind of puts them on their heels. Because if you notice, the other side, the pro-abortion side, they make no bones about their position and they will they will push it at every angle. And they often make us the defenders. But I think we need to be on offense some of the time and be equipped to be able to say not only is life important, but this is why. This is the foundation of what we believe. So I'm going to to uh, give you a very good, very uh, clever acronym on how to deal with this issue. And then on next week's show, um, Lord willing, we will be talking to a lady who founded a organization called the Abortion Survivors Network. And she's actually an abortion survivor. She's someone who actually was the victim of an attempted abortion. She lived through it. And she started an organization to support other abortion survivors. There's actually quite a few people living out there that have survived abortion. Of course, we know of the high-profile one, Gianna Jessen, because she travels around as a pro-life speaker. Still my goal to eventually get her on the Speaking for Him podcast. But so far, every time I knock, the door is still closed. But we're praying that hopefully that door will bust open sometime in the future. So the fact that people survive abortion should tell us something about um, its uh, its morality. And I just remember during, I don't remember if it was during 2008 or 2012, I think it was 2008, um, Senator Obama at the time was asked, um, when life begins, you know, because that's, that's the question that really the pro-life issue really rests with. When does life begin? And he said that he couldn't answer because that's above his pay grade. Yet, if it truly is above his pay grade and he doesn't know the answer, wouldn't you err on the side of life, the side of caution? I don't know. (laughs) But it seems to me like you should err on the side of life. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, Adam? That's uh, that's interesting. I didn't know about the uh, 
uh, when the oil elections were going on that that was that was the case. But um, yeah, it's interesting how you brought up how uh, you know people can get wrapped up in that that way of thinking about oh it's above my my pay grade or that it's you know I, I kind of want to push that subject. But that's why we're talking about it today because this is something that that needs to be talked about and we want to bring light to it to what is a very very dark sin going on in in our world today and we will get into that in more detail before we get too far off track let's go to adam with our quote of the day you start to realize that this is somebody's child i lost my child and someone who was very precious to us and now i'm taking somebody else's child and i'm tearing him right out of their womb i'm killing somebody's child this is what it took me this is what it took to get me to change my own sense of self-esteem went down the tubes and I began to feel like a paid assassin. That's exactly what I was. You watch the movies. Somebody goes up to somebody, pays them some money to kill somebody. That's exactly what I was doing. And when my own sense of self-esteem went down the drain, that was all it took. That's from Anthony Levitino. Uh, Anthony Levitino was a longtime abortion doctor. And in the, in the most ironic circumstances ever, he and his wife were unable to conceive. Um, they ended up adopting... Um, a daughter and a son, and the daughter was hit by a car and, I believe, passed away. And it was that event that finally pushed him over the edge and showed him that, hey, I'm killing these babies, and my daughter that I fought for for so long because we weren't able to conceive our own child was killed in a car crash, and now she's not with us. But yet I voluntarily kill all their babies. And so that was a real wake-up call for him. And incidentally, you know, a lot of people, this is a tricky issue for the simple reason that some people say it's a moral issue, a religious issue, and other people say it's a political issue. The politicians say it's a religious issue. The religious people, by and large, say it's a political issue. So neither side wants to touch it. <laughs> yeah. But it really is both. It's both, and we need to, both sides need to approach it, and they need to be honest about it. Interestingly enough, another tidbit, Ted Kennedy, who became known as a very liberal um, senator in Massachusetts throughout his career, now he's passed away, but he was in the Senate for like 40 or 50 years. When Roe versus Wade was first handed down, he said that he was going to fight it. That was in the 70s, but it quickly became unpopular. It became more expedient to fight for abortion, and so he changed his tune, sadly. Um, and I, as I said, I have um, a really good um, acronym for how you can discuss the pro-life issue with your friends. But before that, let's listen to this YouTube video, which is actually from um, a Texas Right to Life about the history of abortion in America. Good evening. In a landmark ruling, the Supreme Court today legalized abortions. Thus, the anti-abortion laws of 46 states were rendered unconstitutional. I was born in 1973. In that year, the Supreme Court struck down a Texas law that protected the unborn. This decision makes abortion legal in all 50 states throughout all of pregnancy for any reason. Its name, Roe versus Wade. 
1974, 20,000 pro-life activists marched on the United States Capitol. This is the first of what will become the annual March for Life. In 1975, the year I was born, the first Human Life Amendment is introduced into the U.S. Senate. The amendment fails. In 1976, the Republican Party adopts a pro-life platform. The Democratic Party? Not so much. By 1977, the number of yearly abortions in America passes one million. In 1978, the Chicago Sun-Times runs a series of articles exposing unsanitary conditions, unlicensed personnel, and inadequate anesthesia in abortion facilities. Abortion safety regulations are overturned by the courts. In 1980, the Supreme Court upholds a federal ban on tax-funded abortions, one of our first national victories. Pregnant minors can have an abortion without parental notification. The RU486 abortion pill is tested on women. Abortion provider Carol Everett leaves the abortion industry. She later writes the book, Blood Money, exposing abortion industry abuses, including botched abortions, which kill and maim mothers. In 1984, there were one and a half million abortions, double what they were in 1973. In 1985, parental notification fails to pass in Texas. Operation Rescue organizes sit-ins and other acts of civil disobedience around the country. Tens of thousands of pro-life activists are arrested. In 1987, the number of abortions in America continued to rise. In 1988, while in the womb, my mother has an abortion that kills my twin sibling. I survive. 1989, no pro-life legislation passes. Again, in 1990, the year I was born, the number of abortions in America reaches an all-time high. In 1991, the total number of abortions in the U.S. rises above 26 million. This means more aborted babies than number of people living in Iowa, Colorado, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Tennessee combined. In 1992, the United States Supreme Court reaffirms Roe v. Wade. In 1993, the Clinton administration gives $75 million to Planned Parenthood, the largest abortion provider in America. In 1994, Norma McCorvey, the Jane Roe, in Roe v. Wade converts into a pro-life champion. 1995, Congress passes the Partial Birth Abortion Ban. 1996, Clinton vetoes the Partial Birth Abortion Ban. Congress passes and Clinton vetoes the Partial Birth Abortion Ban. Again. Throughout the 90s, crisis pregnancy centers pop up all over the country, providing women with compassionate alternatives to abortion. In 1999, Texas legislature passes the Parental Notification Act, first major pro-life victory in Texas, and we are just getting started. In 2000, the year I was born, the FDA approves the RU486 abortion pill. In 2001, abortions on minor girls decline. Parental involvement rises. 2002, Texas Supreme Court upholds ban on tax-funded abortions. Congress passes the partial birth abortion ban again. This time, President Bush signs it into law. The pro-life Ivy Star diverse for our day's life in College Station, Texas. 2005, parental consent passes. Late-term abortions plummet 80%. In 2007, the U.S. Supreme Court upholds partial birth abortion ban. The Texas Prenatal Protection Act survives a court challenge. Planned Parenthood Director Abby Johnson quits. 
and now stand pro-life. will the future hold? Laws that protect women and babies from the horrors of abortion. A culture that values life from conception through natural death. My generation will end abortion. 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 My generation. 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 My generation will end abortion. And it is my hope that my generation will end abortion. You know, it's kind of interesting that, you know, people say, well, it's legal, so that makes it moral. But the Holocaust in Germany was legal. Slavery here in the United States was legal. But that didn't make it moral. It didn't mean that it was wasn't was an issue not worth fighting for. And um, Adam, I don't know if if you would mind looking up on the computer. Um, there's a website you should be able to Google it called Abortion Counter. I think it's abortioncounter.org or .com. If you Google it, it should come up. And I don't. I think these are are rough estimates. But this will give us an idea, at least, of what um, we're talking about as far as the actual numbers of abortions. Um, and as he's doing that, I'm, I'll get started on this acronym. You know, there are there are several arguments that people make for abortion. And this acronym that I'm going to go over with you kind of puts the onus on them to prove their point. Because often, as I said, we're always on the defensive. But it's time for us to kind of get on the offensive, and we'll we'll go through a couple of these, and then I'll ask Adam a couple questions about the numbers that he sees there on the screen with the abortion counter. And I'll also include a, a link to this website on the blog so that you can at least get a general idea of what type of numbers we're talking about. Um, it has worldwide numbers as well as U.S. numbers um, for abortions, and it will just give you an idea of how serious this issue is. But this acronym starts out this way. Um, size. Some people say that a person's development um, can be determined by size. They'll say, well, the baby's not big enough to be a person. So the question is, what's the right size? And does that mean that Shaquille O'Neal at seven foot two is more of a person than I am at five foot three? Because his size is substantially more than mine. Um, and then also Adam and I were kind of talking about off air the fact that if you're going to say abortion is okay at this point, like a lot of people think that abortion is still illegal after six months. 
even if that were the case, um, if it's five months and 29 days, does that mean that it's all right? Mm-hmm. Somehow it becomes a human on that 30th day. You know, I've said here on this podcast before that there's scientific proof and ultrasound proof that two to three weeks after concession, conception, a heartbeat is found. And generally when a heartbeat stops in, in a child or an adult, we consider that the point when they die. So why don't we consider the heart beating the point when they live? And uh, so the first one is the size argument. And I would want you to I would want you to challenge people and say, well, what size is enough to be a person? At what point are you too small to be a person? At what point are you are you finally big enough? This is a very important thing. And then um, level of development. This is another one that's kind of related to size. Um, but the level of development is very similar as well. Um, a two-year-old is more developed or, than a newborn. A newborn is more developed than a baby that's six months in utero. However, I was born after six months in utero. So to say that I wasn't a person... Um, because I was only six months along, is is a foolish argument. And then, third, E, is environment. It's become, a, it's become commonplace to realize that a mother's womb is actually the most dangerous place for an unborn baby. Why is the baby not a baby when it's in its mother's womb? But immediately upon emerging from the womb, it suddenly becomes a baby. If I am in the radio studio, I'm a person. And I'm that same person if I go into the break room here at the studio for a cup of coffee. I'm that same person when I get in my car to go to my home. My personhood does not change by my environment. And neither should or does the personhood of the unborn baby. Degree of dependence. Many people say, well, when a, when a baby can survive on its own outside the womb, then it's a baby. But number one, I think that if we are all honest, we are all dependent on other people. So, if degree of dependence determines personhood, at what point you are you totally not dependent on others if you think through your day whether it's going to a restaurant and eating whether it's having your spouse or someone you know um do something for you like wash your clothes or or even do a small errand for you we are all dependent on others some of us have more need for help but that does not determine our personhood. I can't eat unless food is put in front of me because I am physically disabled. But does that mean I'm not a person? No, it does not. 
the problem with our society today is that we think that the goal is total independence when the reality is we are all interdependent on one another. And there are um, people that have presented this acronym with more detail and a little more succinctly than I have, and I will try to link in the show notes to a speech that utilizes this acronym um, in a little bit more detail. But I wanted to leave it, you, leave it with you as a way to engage people and to challenge them. We need to be on the offensive about this and not just wait for them to put things out there that we need to defend. We need to make them ask the questions. Make them answer the questions. And um, I just really feel a burden about this. Um, you know, after the, the Planned Parenthood videos came out uh, several months ago, it became much more real to me even than it was before. I mean, I always was pro-life. I, like I said, I grew up in a pro in a pro-life home. I was the oldest of 12 children. So my parents really appreciate children. They now have 14 grandchildren or 13 with one on the way. But if you think about these four factors, size, level of level of development, environment, and degree of dependence. We will all find people at different parts of the spectrum on each of these areas. But once again, that does not define their personhood. Their personhood is in their DNA, which is present from conception. Adam, do you have any thoughts about this? I think it's, uh, I think it's spot on. Um, we're being reminded that, you know, there is no one way to look at a human. Well, once it gets to this point or once it has this development or once it's this tall or even once I can see it, it, it it's, it's a human, uh, once conception happens, I mean, that's, that's all it is. And for anyone who says, well, it's just a group of cells. Well, what are we all made up of <laughs> through our whole lives? We're always a group of cells. So it's exactly the same thing. Exactly. And and to me, one of the grossest ironies is, and I've seen this, where someone will post um, progress reports on the development of their baby and be excited for their baby because they want this baby. And yet some of the same people will say, I'm pro-choice. It's okay to, to get rid of your baby um, if you don't want it. But suddenly, if you want it, then it becomes a person. You know, it's the same thing when we talk about rape and incest. People say all the time, oh, there should be an exception for rape and incest. Well, then what do you say for all the adult people out there and even the kids out there today that are living today that are the product of rape? Are you saying that you're a person that doesn't matter as much because you had a wicked and perverse father? It's not the baby's fault that the father isn't, is a horrible human being. And I will never believe that the trauma of an abortion will erase the trauma of a rape. Having a baby ripped out of your womb is never a good idea. It's never a pleasant thing. And for all the liberals that say 
that it should be safe, legal, and rare. Um, the only thing uh, that it is of those three right now is legal. The abortion industry is among the uh, le- the worst reported industries as far as health issues. You don't have to be a doctor to perform an abortion. You can simply be a nurse that's so-called trained. Uh, there have been some tightening of laws here in Michigan to make them fall under more health guidelines, and we have seen several clinics close over the years because of that, which, thank God, um, because they don't have to be in hospitals. They don't even have to have ambulances or anything standing by if something goes wrong in the procedure. I had to watch a 25-minute video on all the side effects that could happen when I got my wisdom teeth out. And yes, in extreme cases, they said that might include death, which is not likely when you're getting your wisdom teeth out. But if I had to watch that video when I got my wisdom teeth out, why in the world are we ripping babies out of mother's wombs without them having to watch any type of video about the possible ramifications. This is something that I think is a travesty and it needs to end. And as I said, next week we will hear from an abortion survivor and and we will talk to her about what it's like to be a survivor of abortion and, and about her organization and about maybe some other stories of people that have survived abortion as well. This is a very real thing. You don't survive abortion. You don't live through abortion if you're not alive to begin with. And uh, I, I, I really wonder sometimes what people do with these situations. The reality is often they just try to ignore them. They usually don't have an answer. So they won't even bring it up or won't even address it, even sometimes when they're addressed head on. All right. Well, Adam has this website up called Abortion Counter. And Adam, why don't you give us just the number to start out, just the number of abortions since you opened the page? It is already up to 950 and it is continuing to go up as we have the page open. 950. Now, I, you know, different abortion clinics have different hours. This, you know, this is not like a 100% totally accurate number. But these are just to give us a general idea of how fast abortions take place and how many have been taking place Um in different spheres. So does that, is that a worldwide number or is that a U.S. number? Uh, that one is a, uh, a worldwide number. Worldwide was close to a thousand just in the five or 50, 10 minutes, five or 10 minutes that we've had the website open. All right. Give us the worldwide total for this year. And then the U S total, the worldwide oh, total this year is, uh, 30 over 38 million 600,000 and then um what was the second one that you the want? US total the US total this year 
is over a million. All right. And we're coming to the end of the year. Um, and so that total is kind of reflected in the stats that we heard from the video from the Texas Right to Life about roughly a million every year. But just think about what that means. I think there's like 10 or 12 million people in Michigan. So you're talking, if you say 10 million, you're talking roughly 10% of Michigan's population aborted every single year. And somehow, this is acceptable. You know, it's really hard to be surprised about any more, any other of the moral atrocities that happen in this country when we can't even protect our young. It seems extremely hypocritical when the president gets up whenever there's a gun crime, you know, particularly against children, and talks about the loss of life, how they'll never get married, how they'll never have kids, how they'll never grow up, how they'll never go to college, whatever. When there's millions of unborn babies that die, and he does not care. As a matter of fact, he voted against a bill when he was in the Senate, which would require babies to be kept to be to receive life-saving measures if they survive abortion. So this particular bill wasn't even talking about limiting abortion. It wasn't saying get rid of abortion. It was simply saying if a baby survives an abortion, give them life-saving measures. And he he went he voted against a bill like that. And sadly, there are plenty of politicians today that want that. I've heard a lot of people say about the six-month rule that that you can't get an abortion in most places after six months. That's a that's a travesty. That it's a lie, but it is a lie, and the reason is. Because there was something that was said about the age of viability. When the decision was handed down, Justice Blackman basically said that abortion was um, legal through the age of viability. The problem was they never really defined what the age of viability was. And since they said that it was between a woman and her doctor, they can come up with any number of reasons why it's justified abortion, even under the guise of of the health of the mother. That's another trap that people fall into because they say, well, well, the health of the mother needs to matter. But who's going to define it? Health. Because you could say financial health, you could say social health, you could say mental health, you could say all these things that would fall under the banner of health but really are um, nothing more than an excuse for an abortion. And you heard mentioned um, partial birth abortion, which, thank goodness, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the decision by George W. Bush to sign that. I don't know if you realize, but that was taking place a lot in our country. It was actually developed by an abortionist who wanted to make more money because he said that it would be a faster, cleaner, quote-unquote, form of abortion to make more money faster. But the the irony is that you have to turn a baby to the breech position, 
pull them out before you can jab forceps into their skull and then suck out the brain and remove the baby. I realize this is graphic language, but this is what we've had to deal with in this country. And thank goodness partial birth abortion is wrong or is gone from this country, at least as far as I know at this point. But the reality is that you can get an abortion at any time in history or any time in the baby's history, the pregnancy. And the the thing is, there have been a few states lately that have said, let's pass um, measures that would uh, make abortions legal after illegal after 20 weeks because we know that the fetus can feel pain at that point. And people fight against that because they know that it is a baby. And if you start giving it viability in the eyes of the law, then people will start saying, well, what about 19 weeks? Did it really change that much from the from week 19 to week 20? I mean, seriously. And they don't want to answer these questions. They want nothing more than to have an ignorant public. I mean, that's just the way it is with this issue. And so I bring this to you not because I want to be graphic. Um, you know, I strive to have a family-friendly show, but because we need to deal with the facts as they are. And so I would just say as a disclaimer, I know this is late in the episode, um, but if you're li- if you're pre-listening to this, You can let people know, and I will put a disclaimer in the show description um, when I post this, that that it's probably not suitable for younger viewers. Probably should have been in toward the beginning, but we'll put it in here, and uh, um, hopefully if people read the show description, they will realize that. But it's a serious issue, and so we want to deal with it as frankly as we possibly can, and uh, I hope that this has given you um, some good uh, uh, armor in the fight against life and some good ammunition in the fight for life as we uh, uh, contend for these little ones. Um, And the Bible says to plead the cause of the poor and needy, and these unborn babies are needy. You know, if if we have a foundation that says, that the weakest and most vulnerable among us are not life, then how can we expect to stem the tide of violence that goes on when we perpetrate violence against our young all the time? We really can't. Well, that's all I have for today, and I hope that you will join us next week as we will interview an abortion survivor and the head of the abortion survivors network you will not want to miss this show and it too will probably come with a disclaimer because of the subject matter but make sure that you contact us with the contact information at the end of the show and have a great weekend and keep serving the best masters 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him, alongside his co-host and executive producer, Adam McNutt. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 